when you use those throwaway domain names, you masquerade almost as if you're a snowshoe spammer burning through bogus domains, basically. So it almost makes you look worse because it has no good reputation built up as is more easily blacklisted. You're listening to Real Marketing Real Fast, the only podcast that brings you unfiltered, undaunted, insider information on the latest tools and technologies for online marketers. Prepare to dive deep into marketing myths, breakthrough models, and cutting-edge strategies that will have an immediate impact on the growth of your business. And now, here's your host, marketing expert, Doug Morneau. Well, welcome back listeners to another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Today, we're gonna to talk about email email marketing, but we're gonna come at it from a different point of view. Uh, we've all heard that the money's in the list, but obviously your list is no good if you can't get your email delivered or if you end up in the spam trap. So my guest today in studio is Rob McEwen, and Rob has a long history of managing email web servers since 1996. At that time, he was a computer programmer and then later a web developer. And then in early 2000s, Rob pivoted towards a high quality email spam filtering and hosting services. And then 2004, Five, uh, he was already uh, heavily involved with a, a blacklisting company that some of you may be familiar with called Serbl. It's S-U-R-B-L dot org. And he was there as a volunteer. Uh, near their very beginning uh, when the that new type of anti-spam blacklist services uh, started to come up. So Rob has a wealth of experience. So we're going to talk today in today's episode about, you know, how to stay off of a blacklist and how to have a higher reputation for your domain and for your emails and how to get your email delivered. So uh, with that being said, I want to uh, invite Rob on to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast. Hey, well, welcome to the uh, studio, Rob. I'm super excited to talk to you today. You've got a great topic. Yeah, me too. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So listeners, today we're going to cover off a whole bunch of topics. Rob's a super smart guy, so um, he's going to try to keep it simple enough for those of us that aren't technicians to understand. But we're going to talk about how to stay off a blacklist, how to get uh, higher deliver and better deliverability, and to look after your reputation online as you're emailing. So Rob, do you want to just share with our listeners kind of a little bit of your background and how you got from where you were to, you know, this place now where you're helping people to uh, do a better job? Well, I've, I've been managing email servers and spam filters since 1996. So I've been doing this for a long time. And along with that, I started off doing web development and I was a computer programmer, still am. And along the way, I started focusing heavily on email security back in the early 2000s. And then around 2005, I started volunteering heavily uh, spent a lot of time on that for surbl.org which is a lot of people call it serbl.org they are an anti-spam blacklist that pioneered the whole concept of blacklisting domain names in order to catch spammers who um, based on the domain names they were using within the clickable links in the body of the message and so as i was working with serbl i noticed some loopholes or you know blind spots for all the major blacklists where spammers were finding ways around them and i was hoping at first to merge that into serbl but that just didn't work out and so i started my own anti-spam blacklist list called Invaluement uh, with their blessings. And it also expanded to, Invaluement expanded to an IP blacklist. And basically to make a long story short, the gist of it is that spammers are finding ways around blacklists based on creating distribution lists that didn't have a single honeypot trap in them. And then whenever the complaints about their spam would bubble to the surface by that time they'd already moved on to new IPs and new domain names. So Invaluement started off from the, from the ground up as particularly good at blocking that very elusive kind of spam that was slipping past other spam filters. 
So a, lot, a lot's changed over the years, but one of the things I've noticed is that a lot of times somewhat legit marketers that maybe have a small number of mistakes, like a bad email address will get into their distribution system, will get more easily blacklisted than other people just based on doing some you know, basic things with their setup correctly or not correctly. And a lot of that stuff gets missed in a lot of the literature that you, that you find out there that, that's overall very good, but sometimes misses a few of the things that somebody from my perspective would see. So I'm going to share a few things today about some of those things that if senders do these things, they will stay off a of blacklist more often and get more of their mail delivered to the, to the inbox. So let's push pause just for a sec. And for the benefit of our listeners, why don't you explain to us what a blacklist is? Okay, so a blacklist is, I mean, there's very, there's all different types, but generally when you're talking about email and spam, you're talking about a list of either sending IP addresses or domain names, for, you know, for the most part. Most of the most famous ones that people have traditionally thought of are, are um, you know, if somebody uses it more generically, they're almost always talking about a, a list of sending IP addresses. And those would be IPs that a different blacklists will have different standards. Some don't really care that they might create collateral damage and false positives and you know you just just one spam hits their trap and you're blacklisted and that's that's one extreme and others are more careful about not listing IPs that would cause collateral damage in situations where legit senders and spammers are sending from the same IP address. Um, some are very good about having good delist policies and expiring and you know responding to complaints or responding to delist requests, while others are more draconian. If they just, you know, the course it ranges the gamut, there's hundreds of them out there, but there's really only several that are very good and a high amount of use where people put a lot of weight in them, basically. And then uh, just for one more definition, why don't you explain what a honeypot or a spam trap is so our listeners understand that? Okay, so in the old days, so to speak, when blacklists were first starting off, what the blacklist operator would do and, and that person's partners would be to create um, email addresses that they would put on websites hidden so that a human being couldn't see ever, would never see that email address, but a, but a bot or also called a spider could collect that email address and add it into a list of email addresses to send spam to. And so because that address was never used ever in history by a human being to ever sign up for anything, any hit on it was was like, a, you know, we've caught your hand in the cookie jar, you know, we've caught you red handed, you know, with, um, <laughs> yeah. and you're definitely in trouble. And and the, that tended, there's never really a good, in that particular situation, there's, there's not really that great of an excuse. You know, you've had to have done something wrong for that to happen. Or, or you had an insecure sign up form and your worst enemy, you know, signed up a spam trap address. Address, you know that where you weren't doing confirmed opt-in it didn't have it capture protected more recently though a lot of old email addresses that just haven't been used for many years have been recycled into spam traps so it's getting it's a, it's a little less it's slightly more questionable as to whether it was spam or not but sometimes I mean there's situations where like an ISP will have gone out of business you know 15 years ago and then the company that's sending them messages didn't even exist till five years ago and you know there's just a lot of that going on where, where it, it becomes very suspicious and and contributes towards getting caught you know on a platform list when you send to old addresses like that, you know, where it's not reasonably possible that they are reasonably likely that they really did sign up. Right. So that's probably people that have scraped a database or scraped websites, like you said, by using bots, put people in database and they've shared or sold that data over and over again. So you as a potential buyer loads that data and then boom, you're out of business immediately. Right. And, and what's happened is, so a lot of the blacklists traditionally have been very good at catching spammers that, that either do those tactics or buy lists from people who use those tactics. Um, the problem with it is around, say, about in the late 2000s, as it was getting towards like 2006, 7, 8, a lot of spammers, like I said earlier, started getting very good at cultivating lists where they knew for sure there wasn't a single honeypot trap on them. And they were sending to 
and, and then by the time they got blacklisted because of complaints, they'd already moved on to other domains and IPs. So Invaluement specializes in blocking that very elusive spam, and we still are really good at catching a lot of that stuff that doesn't that you know before it gets on on Spamhaus or Serbal or the other you know different blacklists, um, yet with a really low false positive rate. So it's a it, we still have a very good edge in that niche that's really helping us out to you know to help our subscribers to have a much better spam filtering. Now, one of the things that's happened along the way is there's you know a lot of people sometimes people will cultivate lists based on things that people really did do like they, maybe they fill, fill out a form to download a white paper and the, then the person will start selling then all of a sudden that person will start receiving a lot of spam because they didn't know that there was something in the fine print that said receive offers from third parties. Yep. And then, this, then the the person collecting the email address thinks that that's just a a license to you know it's a it's a lifetime license to, for anybody to send you know however they distribute that email address. But it's our position basically that when the recipient doesn't have a reasonable way to connect the dots from whatever they're receiving to whatever they signed up for originally, then all, at that point all permissions are null and void. And and that's that position really makes a lot of sense because otherwise that loophole would be so large that we'd all start waking up with 500 spans a day in our email box. <laughs> well, and that's how you and I got connected. I mean, we got connected because I had put a post and I was really pleased to see your interaction because it was good to have somebody shine some light and say, hey, you know, if this is the direction you're going, that's, that's spam. If this is the direction you're going, that's the right direction. So yeah, I often come across people who are looking for shortcuts and I'm saying those tactics are not a shortcut. They're a recipe for disaster lawsuits and uh, toast your domain name. Yeah, so you had written a book and, and posted some information about list rental. And it was such a fascinating thing because we both came at it from such different perspectives that we had kind of a misunderstanding where you were thinking of it from a pure white hat standpoint in a sense that you would be paying somebody in order to send to their distribution list, but it would still be branded as from the original owner of the list so that the recipients would still recognize, you know, that who it was coming from and that this was sort of like a sponsor, kind of like here's a word from one of our sponsors kind of thing. And then the, then the, the person renting the list would, would send out a message. But the whole way through, the, the recipient wouldn't be confused about, you know, how it is that they opted into this. So from, I had just never heard of that much of that happening, but I had come across, from my perspective, running a blacklist, I'd come across a lot of situations where list rental meant that somebody, when the person sent to the distribution list, it looked like it came from the person renting the list where the recipients wouldn't have any reasonable way, to, like I said, to connect the dots and understand how the permissions worked. So I had only come across it from black, more black hat scenarios where you were only thinking of it from a white hat scenario. And it was so fascinating because when I was listening to your podcast and reading through your book, like I got about 25% into your book before I saw the clarifications that made me feel comfortable with it. And, um, and it wasn't that you, it's just that you were so innocent about it. It was like, because you just weren't even thinking of it as being a black hat thing. So it was kind of a fascinating way that we misunderstood <laughs> each other. And I'm glad we cleared that up. You know, so I'm but it's great to get, it's great to get pushback though, right? I mean, because you know, um, sometimes regardless of what you're doing, listeners, you're in your own business and you think you know it so well, and you talk to somebody and they misinterpret it because they have different experience than you do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, and what you know, one of the things basically that you know, I've run across things that that legit senders that really do have permissions do that get them more likely to be blacklisted, either because the blacklist is being a little bit too strict due to a mistake that the sender is making, or maybe the sender really did have uh, um, some kind of problem, like a security problem, that um, that caused them to 
to do something they shouldn't have done, but it really wasn't that bad, but yet it's affecting a lot, but yet they're getting more easily blacklisted because of some things not being set, set up correctly. So I've, I know a lot of this stuff, like one of the books I highly recommend is Delivery Inferno from Chris Arendelle from Inbox Pros. And what I'm going to basically cover is like, if you read his book, here are the things that, and I think his book is excellent. Can't find anything in it that I disagree with, but this is sort of like what he didn't say or what he didn't emphasize enough. And this comes from more of a blacklist, you know, person managing a blacklist perspective. So so I'm going to give a few things that are that are really good suggestions about that. So one one of the things that I highly recommend is making sure that the the and this a lot of people I guess you know if you're using an ESP sometimes you have to pay attention to this and sometimes you don't but it doesn't necessarily mean you don't if you're using an ESP because sometimes ESPs will customize these things for you. But but generally speaking it's good to have the PTR record end in your main domain name and not end in some sort of generic assigned PTR record. So this would be, this is sort of like when you, if you, when you convert your, just like a, like a domain name converts to an IP, like the A record in DNS will convert a domain name to an IP address. The PTR record sort of maps the IP address back to a host name. So when the IP map, when the IP of your sending IP, and even if you are running your email, let's say you're using an ESP for sending your marketing messages, yep. but maybe you're, you're running your own mail server for just a regular transactional stuff, or maybe you're just regular stuff that your own employees use. And that this would still apply to that situation or, or possibly both. But the, but the idea is you want to have the, um, for your sending IPs, you want you want them to end in the main domain name of your of your business and not some variation of it or throwaway domain name. The one that has, you know, that people would go to your website and it would have the most good reputation with not too many dots or hyphens to the left of it, basically. So it might be like mail dot your domain name or something, or outbound dot your domain name or something like that. And then of course you want you, along the way you know. But this almost goes without saying, but you went forward, confirm, reverse DNS, where but that host name resolves back to the IP, the IP resolves back to the host name so that they circularly reference each other. That's about as technical as I hope to get in this call. But that's really, really, uh, that's, that's very, very important. And the other thing to try to do is try to avoid what some people will do. Some marketers have this idea that, okay, I, I'm not going to use my, I don't want to use my main domain name in our email send outs because, you know, what if, what if that gets blacklisted? What if something we do is bad that gets blacklisted? But it's interesting. It's so fascinating because when you use those throwaway domain names, you masquerade almost as if you're a snowshoe spammer burning through bogus domains, basically. So it almost makes you look worse because it has no good reputation built up as, as more easily blacklisted. So the better solution is, you know, really be careful about making sure your sending practices are good and you're not sending to purchase lists or and that sort of thing. And I'll give some other suggestions about that in a moment. But, you know, stand by, proudly put your main domain names in the links in the messages and in the and in the from address to, to basically give the message that, no, we're not scared. We're not trying to hide, you know, our, our practices. We stand, you know, proudly stand behind them. And chances are, if ever there is a small security hole, you probably won't get blacklisted because of using that domain name that has a lot of good reputation. So just to, just to clarify your point, what you're saying is that, you know, um, a, a brand new domain name. So if I set up a .NET so I don't use my .com, it has no reputation because it hasn't been used. So you're going to likely get a, a lower deliverability rate because it's an untrusted domain name. Is that? Absolutely. And um, a good way to check it, this is not one of the metrics that Environment uses in our actual, you know, system, but it's something I personally use if I'm just quickly on the fly, double man, you know, visually double checking something that any of your users could easily do. It's so simple. Your grandmother could do it. But basically, if you just take the domain name without the www dot or the HTTP, just the domain name itself, put it in Google in quotes. 
And what that'll do is um, Google will, will pull up a list of all the websites that mention that domain name. Um, you may get a little extra stuff in it every once in a while that, that, it should, that you're not really looking for, but for the most part, it works pretty good. And so th then look at the, at the number of links it returns back, you know, whether it's returning back 10, I mean, 10 pages or 10,000 pages or 100,000 pages, wherever it is. Generally, the more the better. And then the second metric to look for is look at the quality of the top 10. If the top 10 involve really high quality websites, you know, very important websites that are linking back to your site, that's a really good sign. If the top 10 instead is full of like, um, run of the mill, like mediocre domain analysis websites, you know, that, that, that are going to have every domain name cataloged in, in existence kind of thing. Then um, if that's in the top 10, that means you're not really getting high quality tra traction on the internet. And that's going to, that, that heavily corresponds to the kind of reputation tools that we use to determine whether a domain name might be too risky to blacklist and, you know, because of, of possibly too much collateral damage. So you, you want to. Uh, well, and one other point. Sorry, one other point I was going to mention to you is in terms of that is listeners, um, I've often heard people say, hey, I'll just go get another domain name or I'll just ch change my ESP. So let's say, for example, you're using, I don't know, let's pick one. You're using um, HubSpot to sell now and you have a problem. So I'll just go move to eye contact. And I think what Rob's saying is that that's that this problem is not going to go away because you've damaged your domain name. And so only best practices will keep you in the inbox. Yeah, you're definitely. I mean, your your domain reputation is going to follow you around everywhere. Yeah. But you um you definitely don't want to. If you know something goes wrong, don't immediately think I'll just use a subway domain name. It's better <laughs> to stand behind your main domain name. And, and you know, and if you if it's a new domain name because you're a fairly new business, you want to kind of warm it up, sort of like warming similar concept to warming up an IP address. And then you want to fight. For, you know, make sure your practices are really good. And if you inadvertently get blacklisted, fight for it and explain. You know, to this to the any blacklist that might blacklist you, you know, what it is that you're doing good that's causing recipients to get angry if they don't receive those messages. I mean, and then little by little, it'll, it'll start as you build good reputation through the normal things you should be doing anyways to get traction, you know, on the internet behind your domain name, you know, just based organic, you know, SEO basically is going to help improve your, the, the quality of your domain's, you know, reputation. And what happens is, like I said, when the, when the PTR record ends in that domain name, it basically then, and we see, I see that PTR record, that the domain at the end of it as infusing both identity and reputation upon the domain. And that's where that, I mean, upon the IP address is what I meant to say. And so that, that helps give that IP additional good reputation. I mean, that's not the only thing we do and that you could screw that up and do everything else right and not have any problems. But just when you combine a mistake that might've been an innocent mistake, like a marketer or maybe a form not being secured and a bunch of you know spam trap addresses being added, combine that with a, a bad PTR record or using a throwaway domain name that, you know, that could be a bad thing. So I'm going to give you a few examples of situations that have happened. So basically there's, there's been two that were really famous in the past couple of years. One was with um, Marriott Corporation and another was with, it's the, the credit bureau, Equifax, yeah. So Equifax, both Marriott and Equifax had egregious security holes. In <laughs> yeah. both situations, yes, they, are. Yep. they sent out notifications to their customers about the security hole that happened, you know, where their data had been broken into using, using like brand new throwaway domains. And the security industry just went nuts and said, you know, this was really dumb because we, we were having trouble telling the difference between what you just did and a fish. And it, it would have been much better if they had just said like equifax.com slash, you know, security incident or something like that, rather than the, um, using the domain name they used that, you know, that referred to it because, because any fisher could go out and buy all other derivatives and then people sure. don't know the difference. And yeah. uh, one of the, yeah. And one of the fascinating things is that my position is that when you read those articles and granted, these were worst case scenarios because they were talking about situations where the email, the notification itself could have read similar to how a fish might've read. And so these are definitely worst case scenarios. But when you step back and you start, you know, peeling back the layers and saying, saying, and thinking, okay, what's, 
where's the dividing line between all the reasons everybody's giving Marriott and Equifax a hard time for using these extra domains and any and some other company just having a domain name like, you know, email dash their main domain name, you know, as another domain that they're using in their from address and their clickable links. And there's really no good there's no good dividing line there. It's all it, it's like all the points that go for the more egregious example that the security industry went crazy about really kind of sort of to some extent still apply to the, all those other situations too. And so, I, so basically, with, and how you do it can really make a big impact. So just this past week, my system um, at Environment struggled with two different domain names from two very famous companies that are doing a lot of, a few good things, but a lot of bad things. And I'm going to kind of list out what they did. It's kind of shocking. But this kind of shows that this doesn't, this isn't just a situation where some small sender who doesn't really know what he's doing could have this problem. It can happen to even big Fortune 500 corporations as well. So the first one is Warner Music, and, and they're you know a big music you know billion dollar corporation basically. Yeah, and so they they came out with a domain name in their advertising called WarnerMusicLive.info, L-I-V-E.info, and so here's some of the things about it that made it that caused our system to struggle with with whether or not to blacklist this. And think, basically, when I got to the end of an, analyzing these two domain names, I went ahead and whitelisted them because I think these are legit. But I, there is a tiny possibility that I'm wrong and these are being run by spammers that have nothing to do with these companies. I didn't spend more than an hour doing this research and they were they're really run by. And another possibility is that they could be run by affiliate marketers are being paid by these companies but are still doing very shady practices. But I'm just assuming for now that they're legit, but they just made some mistakes along the way. So, so both of them, both WarnerMusicLive.info and the other one was the other one was from Chase and Chase the Chase the financial corporation. This one's ChaseOffers.com. Both of them had no website with and without the www. So if you go to WarnerMusicLive.info or ChaseOffers.com with or without the, the www, there's no website. That's really bad. You know, it used to be like not too many years ago, I would get death threats and lawsuit threats and stuff every <laughs> once in a while because of what I was doing. I don't I don't get that much anymore because people know that well if I follow these practices. In order for me to follow these practices that would keep Office 365 and, and Gmail happy, yeah. I don't really have to worry about environment because I'm not, I'm not likely to get blacklisted by environment. So that's been you know something that's been really good for the industry. Well, I'm always surprised when I look at my um, spam filter because I, you know, once a week at least I go look at my spam filter and I use uh, you know I use the the uh, Gmail suite platform for a number of domains and, and companies that I have and of how many people, legitimate mailers that end up there. So, you know, we talked about kind of the dark side. So, you know, what, you know, what are some of the major issues for people who are trying to do it right that have, you know, they're investing in their, their people, they're, they're investing in their content, they're using best practices, but they're still, they're still getting dumped into the spam box. Well, do, I mean, doing a lot of things that I suggested would already would be very, very helpful. And then, of course, you know, sending high quality content that people really would, would desire, I think, is very helpful. You don't want to send so infrequently that people don't remember you anymore. But I, I just can't help but notice that with everything I've signed up for lately, with things I'm working on that involve getting on people's radar and, and, and in terms of, you know, getting on people's distribution list for email sending, I just can't tell you how annoying it is sometimes that I'll sign up for something and I'm, I'm seeing, I'm getting, and this, this, you may disagree and a lot of people may disagree with me on this, but <laughs> to me, it rubs me the wrong way. If all of a sudden I'm getting five marketing messages a day from, from that person that I just signed up for. I mean, I, to me, it seems like maybe one or two a week would be a lot better. And uh, that, that could be a, possibly a problem in contributing to people hitting the spam button. And of course it depends on the industry and what type of product you have, but you know, having really helpful, high quality information is, is so important now for that, for that engagement to keep, to keep Google and Office 365 happy because they focus much on, on engagement is very, very helpful. You know, not doing the things that I talked about, you know, is really good as far, you know, the bad things that I mentioned and doing the good things that I mentioned, you know, 
will, will be very, very helpful. You know, there's almost always, when marketers get blacklisted, there's almost always something going on, like an, an insecure form that wasn't capture protected that, a spam, that your worst enemy signed a spam trap up on or some bot did. Or somebody, you know, one of the things that's also really important, as you remember, I mentioned earlier that it's our position that if the user doesn't recognize who the, who the sender is, the permissions are null and void. So along that line, having really consistent branding that's, you know, same color, same logo, same name across all your different social media platforms and all the messages that you send so that there's no question on the user's part that they immediately recognize you. That's, that's very, very helpful. You know, having more transactional messages, you know, if you send a receipt to somebody and they, and it goes into a spam folder or, you know, commercial folder uh, or like a junk mail folder and the recipient complains back to the, the ISP, you know, why is this not in my inbox? That, that can only probably help you, you know, if the, sure. You know, sending stuff that, that you that you know you're getting your users, teaching your users to complain about stuff like that, will probably be you know really helpful for for situations like that. I'm you know I think that the the things that I mentioned that don't get emphasized a lot in in these different you know by di- by different people who are in this industry help, trying to help senders is like it's like I said the, the getting the PTR record right yeah. and pre- capture protecting your forms and doing confirmed opt in and I, there's still so much resistance to confirmed opt in but there may be ways around that in the sense that so. Is it you know you really should do confirmed opt-in, but if you know you got their their contact information through a social media that provided it for you, maybe it's not quite as critical. Or if they purchase something from you with a credit card, then you really don't you know that alone is proof that they're a real person and really that person, and you don't really have to confirm opt-in. So there's some ways around confirmed opt-in that that you know that makes sense. And one of the things that's fascinating about it that that's that's really a cool trick here is that a lot of people don't use is if the person sends you. So let's say that I, I send an email to sign up for something from you. And a lot of times the sign up's not through email, but if I did send you at least one email for some reason, if the SPF and the DCAM pass, that means that it had to have come from your from you, you know, almost 99.9% of the time, but you can almost bank on that, that that's a legit, really did legitimately come from that person sending the email. So that, that can be very helpful sometimes as a, its own confirmation where in some situations like that, it might not need to go that extra step for the confirmed opt-in. But, and also segmenting lists can be very helpful. I've, I can't tell you how many times somebody calls me, you know, panicked about getting blacklisted at Valument and we'll have them caught sending to, you know, egregious spam traps. And so um, if, you know, a lot of times, you know, they say they have a 50,000 person distribution list, they don't want to start all over just because of one constant hit or a few constant hits on spam trap addresses that might be, may just be a couple of bad apples in their list. So having that segmentation where they kind of have a good track record of knowing where those email addresses came from, how they, which ones got confirmed, how they got confirmed, which ones purchase product, which ones show real engagement from a variety, you know, that, that looks legitimate could help a, um, a situation like that where they, they could, where when they go to do the pruning, it's not, not so deep and painful, yep. you know, to, as they, as they try to get rid of the, the spam trap address that's causing the problems. Well, and I'm doing some stuff that might be a bit weird. I mean, on my email list, if people hit reply, it actually comes back to an email to me. So I, I'm not a huge fan of the, uh, you know, the, the email of ESPs where you can't reply to the person you're talking to. Yeah. But no reply. So I, I really want the engagement, right? So if you have a problem, you have a question, you agree, disagree, just hit reply. And I, I find you get better engagement that way. Yeah, it is really helpful, you know, for people to feel like they can reply and, you know, that they, that there's someone that they can communicate with on the, on the other side. That's that's very beneficial. You know, I highly recommend, you know, having that, you know, as an option in the emails you send. It I've always feels kind of rude when, when you know, to get communications that, that are from a no reply address and then getting a <laughs> message back saying, you know, we, we're not accepting email at this address. That's right. We just want to send you our stuff, but we really don't want to talk to you unless you want to buy something. Yeah, yeah, that, that does come across as rude. 
So just tell us a little bit more about the, you know, protecting your signup forms, because that's something I see on sites, because I obviously I'm in the business. So, you know, I have um, a domain name and an email I use to sign up specifically to sign up for people's offers. So I see lots of forms. So why don't you explain to our listeners kind of what it means and really how simple it is? Yeah. Okay. So it's it's very easy. It's just a, called a CAPTCHA. And and so all it is is I know your users or listeners have seen this all the time when they visit websites where as a part of the form, they'll see a graphic with that with some characters in it, but their characters have something funky going on, like they're a weird font and they might have some stripes in the background or some kind of distortion going on to make it hard to a little bit hard to read, but hopefully easy enough for a, for a human to read. And they're trying to prevent that graphic from being OCR'd where a spammer might use optical character recognition to translate it to letters. And then it'll give you a little box where you type that in and that's this, that's capture protecting it. So the whole idea is that that way only a human being could could get through that form and, and it prevents bots from using that form. And so what what's happened is the bots have really vandalized, you know, forms all over the internet a lot this past couple of years. And in some cases they've they've really done a lot of disruption because sometimes they've banged on those forms like hundreds of times a second yep. just to cause problems. And and that's caused like systems to get shut down and things like that. So having that CAPTCHA, you know, it's very important. I think Google has a free CAPTCHA um, option, you know, that, that you can use, but there's a number of other options as well that are, you know, very beneficial for highlight. I just think every form now needs to be CAPTCHA protected, unless it's like a situation where somebody had to be logged into their social media platform to fill the form out, then it's not really necessary because they've sort of already gone through that, some authentication to get there. Yeah, they've been, they've been vetted. So that definitely yeah. gets rid of the bots. And then the other side is people hiring cheap labor to fill out your forms and use the CAPTCHA. And to your earlier point, that's where a double opt-in gets rid of a lot of that because they're not going to go back and and click confirm, uh, you know, through all the emails they signed up for in their shift. Yeah, I've heard of that. What you're describing happening, I don't think it happens that that often. It's it's definitely rare enough to where it's, but you know, where where even if where if you capture protected your forms, you're not going to be in huge danger of that happening. But that is a possibility because I've heard of that happening for sure. I mean, I'm sure I know it does exist. But but yeah, the thing is that that criminal who's who's actually typing something in to get through your CAPTCHA, they're not going to be able to click the link on the email that it goes to because it's going to go to the real person yeah. and not to them. So they, um, the other thing, though, is that the CAPTCHAs don't protect you from is I, I've, there really are incidents where people will go, in, especially in, like with political websites. Like it, it's not uncommon for extreme conservatives to go to, to extreme liberal websites or extreme liberals to go to extreme conservative websites and fill out um, forms all day long just to just to put bogus addresses in there or people that they know will, will complain about why is this person sending me spam. And that could also happen between, you know, competitors that are being nasty with each other. People will sign up all kinds of stuff just to get the other person in trouble. And so making sure that you do that confirmed opt-in can keep your list, your distribution list free of, of those types of, of things. A lot of times people will, people don't want to go through that extra step because it, it will reduce your number of signups when people have to click the link. But the argument for doing it is that, you know, you're going to get a higher quality distribution list though be by by enforcing it. And you'll have less signups where people, you know, were maybe in a hurry and not really paying attention or didn't really care that much about it, your product. And now they're, you know, they may be more likely to hit the spam button mistakenly forgetting that they signed up for it. So at least you're going to have more intentional, a higher level of intention for the people that sign up. And that's so much more important now with the way that, that Google and Office 365 are being more rating things more based on engagement. So that, that's very, very helpful. I've, I just think every form now should be capture protected. And I think confirmed opt-in is ex- extremely important. I guess, you know, one of the things about confirmed opt-in too, that, that another twist on it could be, you know, like click here to, instead of to 
you know, it could be a, it could be a combination of click here to confer, to opt into our newsletter and receive your special download that you requested. You know. Yeah, absolutely. That way, you're you're kind of giving them a carrot at the, you know at the end of the process, you know, to, to entice them and make them feel like they're not just jumping through hoops that are wasting their time. You know, it gives them some um, an incentive that's helpful. So that that would be really good. Well, and I just wrote an article that'll that'll come out in the next couple of weeks about increasing your deliverability. And the research that I had done before, and I still see today, is that people are expecting most people. I think the numbers were like seven over seventy percent of the people are expecting a welcome message, and less than half the marketers send one. So I'm saying, you know, if they're expecting it, they're going to open it. That's going to help your deliverability again because it's an open, and you're going to be able. To, you may send them a short sequence after that, but you know, people are expecting that. So it shouldn't, I think the days of people going, oh, I have to double opt in such a pain. I don't know. I just think there's less and less of that. Um, I expect, you know, if I go sign up for somebody's newsletter, I go to my email box right away because I'm, I'm waiting for the, the confirmation message to come in. Well, and that also makes sense because I, I mean, I have to admit, I have, I have signed up for stuff before when, and you know, what the marketers are trying to do is make it so easy to sign up quickly where you just click, 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 boom, it's done. You know, and maybe the, your information autofilled by the, was autofilled in, by your social media platform so you didn't have to type it all out and you've gone from reading their ad to to clicking the, the send me more information and like literally like 12 seconds have passed well that makes it a lot easier for me to forget who what, what it was i signed up for so having a welcome message come in right after that to sort of connect the dots back to that sign up will kind of boost their imprint on my memory so that then later i won't mistakenly you know not that i would do this but somebody else in the same situation wouldn't mistakenly hit the spam button thinking oh, i don't recognize that that must be spam when they actually did sign up for it so it's a good way to reinforce that uh, the branding while it's all fresh in their mind so i think that's that's a wise you know thing to do as well well, we've seen, I've seen that for sure. I've seen, I've seen the list that we are managing for people where I know we're built an opt-in. We're using, in this case, we're using Infusionsoft. So I could go in, I could look at the, the spam complaint. I'm going, this person opted in on this day. They click the double opt-in. They open up the first two newsletters and now they're hitting spam. It's like, it was clearly not spam. So they're just obviously not happy with the content or maybe the brand anymore, but it wasn't a fair spam complaint, but it doesn't matter whether it's fair because you and I is, or not speaking of you, but me as a marketer, I can't and control that if if the end user reports it as spam i just have to live with the 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 outfall from that yeah i mean hopefully no systems will put too much weight on a few outliers there was one spam or feedback loop that i had had subscribed to for many years that was very beneficial where it would send the spam back to my system whenever somebody hit the spam button within their their email system and um, so i could know which you know it helped me it was a good like early warning system in case an account had gotten broken into on my system and the sp spammers maybe was sending slowly from somebody from my system to try to get under the radar and so that it was, it was a great system for that for me to, me to be able to quickly find hijacked accounts and fix them but uh, but occasionally hand typed messages to people's own relatives would get would show up so i could tell the person either made a mistake or they confused the spam button with the delete button there's always going to be a little bit of stuff like that yeah you hope that it's averages out to be such a tiny percentage that you know that ideally that's what would happen and if you're doing all these other things right that's what should happen they the mistakes like that in the reporting should should be so tiny that they you know fall off the map and, and don't really impact your deliverability ideally but it, it's but that's why it's all the more important to do all these other good things so that um, statistically you overcome that Sure. No, the absolutely fair comment. So yeah. in terms of what you're doing today and, and where the industry is going, what are you most excited about in the next six months? 
Well, you know, one of the things that that's happened with the industry in terms of email is so much has gone to Office 365 and Google and, and a few other large providers, but mostly those two. And it's, it's helped the industry a lot because of, you know, the, the way the way they're focusing on engagement is forcing the industry to, to do better. And that's great. And it's 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 improving the industry. But the downside to it, though, is sometimes some of those large platforms don't do as much good with their abuse in terms of making sure that there's that people on their the spammers that get accounts on their system are not sending spam and sometimes we're kind of slow because they're not they have this idea that we're too big to blacklist so they're not really motivated to fix those problems and i think that part though is starting <laughs> to damage the industry unfortunately yeah and so what i'm trying to do in the um in the coming year is i think that it's it's a it's a ripe time for people to re-examine the, the whole setup where some people may find that it's better to move back to running their own mail servers. A lot of people have been frustrated by trying to run their own mail systems because of the um, how hard it is. There's all these different hoops you got to jump through and they all get kind of, they, they all get fairly complicated and just doing making one mistake can be really catastrophic and that's what's pushed a lot of these people over to these other platforms. But if you're doing everything right, all the things I talked about, all the things in Chris Arendelle's book and you're following best practices, you could potentially get in a situation where your deliverability is better than some of these other platforms and, and you're Spam filtering might even be better um, than some of these other platforms, and it might be a lot less expensive. It's it's kind of funny that, you know, right now people that, that automatically can think that all mail should go from come go through an ESP. It's always funny for someone like me that's been managing mail servers since 1996. To, to me, it sounds sort of like if my deceased grandfather, if, if he came back from the dead and I told him about how I was going to the store to buy bottled water, he would probably say, "That's crazy. Why don't?" There's plenty of water right out of, coming out of the sink, to, uh, coming out of the tap, you know. <laughs> Go outside and, and move the pump handle; it'll come out. Yeah, one of the the biggest argument against what I just said is that these ESPs do a great job of you know giving really good feedback and tracking the engagement and tracking the opens and that sort of thing. But I think maybe combining running your own, there may be some open source solutions out there. I've been looking, just starting to research that to see what solutions there are um, for for running your own mail server and using those open, you know, having some sort of other system locally where you're doing that yourself. And of course, you, you can't just like blind carbon copy 500 or 1,000 or 10,000 people. You still have to have a, a list component to your mail server. But most of them do have that feature and uh, where they, they'll spread it out and send, you know, so many per minute. But I, I hope that more people will will consider that. I think that it's it's not good for the industry for there to be that as much consolidation as there is. And it, it's better to have more people. And I, th I think maybe I'm starting to see signs that more people are are going back to that model, uh, you know, for both for cost savings and because they now, you know, are learning to do it better. So I'm, I'm working on a, um, a published, basically very soon, I'm going to be involved in a, a roundtable discussion with a couple of industry leaders that I'm looking forward to publishing it, where we kind of just focus more on four people running their own mail server here, are the best practices, all in one place where we kind of list them out for you and make a few good comments. And it's going to be both have a lot of these, will include a lot of the things we talked about today in terms of what to do to make sure you don't get blacklisted. But that discussion will focus more on what to do to make sure you don't get spam and how to improve your spam filtering system. Yeah. That's really cool. So is that something we could hit you up for another podcast, come back and do a session on how to set up your own mail server? Yeah, that, that would be great. I want to wait till after I do that roundtable discussion so we can kind of link to that. And then maybe there may be some things that I can add at that point in time and, and discuss further. You know, the, the other thing that's interesting with environment. So I didn't mention this earlier, but, you know, a lot of basically right now, people use environment all over the world, both for consumer mailboxes and business mailboxes. But to give you an idea about our impact on the industry, 40% um, of all, at least 40% of all B2B mailboxes within the United States involve spam filters that are using environment technology in the background to help them improve the spam filtering. But in spite of that, and the market share we have for 
very small sender, small and medium-sized senders that aren't these big cloud providers. Um, Numbers-wise, we really have a very small percentage of market share, probably less than 1%. A lot of small and medium-sized companies that, ha- that manage their own serv- mail servers that haven't moved to the cloud don't know about our system yet because I've just done a really bad job of advertising it over the years. It's been mostly just growing word of mouth. And so I've spent the last year learning more about marketing and social media advertising, and I'm about to start um, embarking on a big, massive um, campaign for, for getting the word out about Invaluement so that more of these small senders can integrate our product. So we, they can typically, like a small sender that might have 500 mailboxes, you know, would be paying us in the low three figures for the same data that one of these largest cloud providers might pay us, you know, well into the five figures for, but for the same protection. So it's very affordable. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to, you know, getting the message out so that more of them, you know, can improve their spam filtering. So the idea is that, and that becomes another reason for them not to have to move to the cloud. Like, in other words, you, if you're, if there's a lot of good reasons to move to the cloud, but one of my goals here is so that people will know that there's an option, right? Yeah, that they have options and they can, and possibly with the combination of environment and a few other things, they may be able to improve their spam filtering system to the point where whether that they whether or not they move to the cloud, it won't be because of needing better spam filtering. Yeah. And that's one of my goals in the coming months. Well, cool. That's a great segment into the important question is, so as you're expanding and getting your information out there and trying to help marketers do a better job with their email, where can people find you? Where's the best place to track you down? Okay, so... Yeah, the best thing is just I'm the best place is just to go to our website, www.invaluement.com. That's I N V A L U E M E N T dot com. And of course I've I've got Twitter and I've I'm on Twitter and I'm also on LinkedIn and I haven't done the company page on LinkedIn is very new, so you won't find much going on there yet. But my personal account on LinkedIn has been around for a while, so that's another good way to, to look me up on LinkedIn. Um, if you just type Invaluement in there, the search, either place you'll find me easily. We're um just about to publish a Facebook and an Instagram page um, that hasn't been finished yet, but I'm gonna I'm gonna coincide that with the launching of this um, upcoming dis- discussion on running a mail server that's that's coming up, you know, very soon. Well, when you do get us get us the links, we'll add them to the show notes, okay. and I can um, verify that Rob really is on Twitter. That's how we connected. So for all you people who say that Twitter's dead, not true. I've had lots of people on Twitter where we've had these types of conversations in the past. So I just want to say thanks so much for taking time out of your day and trying to, you know, to share with our audience and, and kind of give us an idea of what we can do to do a better job and make sure that our emails get delivered. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. For the Eagle listeners, there's a little bit of a technical discussion, but um, you've all heard that the money's in the list, but the list is no good if you can't get it delivered. So hopefully you've got some takeaways and I'd encourage you to follow up with Rob. You can hear that he's got a wealth of knowledge. I'm sure we could spend uh, a day or two having this discussion, but it's way above my pay grade. I just need to find people who are smarter than me that can help figure out these solutions. So thanks for tuning in and we look forward to serving you on our next episode. That's all for this episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Now it's time to take your marketing to the next level by visiting dougmorneau.com and downloading our advanced marketing white papers as well as exclusive resources based on today's episode. That's dougmorneau.com. Until next time, we look forward to serving you right here on Real Marketing Real Fast.